What's your favorite steak restaurant? Folks Folly. That's your favorite? Is Folks Folly? Yes, my favorite is Folks Folly. I, both because it was my it was my first real like fancy steak I ever ate. Number one. Number two, because they have a cowboy ribeye. I think that's what we got. The one on the bone. It's really big. Yes, yeah, amazing. Like 30 something ounces. Yeah, or it was something. fine. We shared it. It was fine. You shared it. It's 30 something ounces. Good grief. Like, I'm not trying I to get, get the, like an eight ounce tenderloin or something. I'm good sweats. to go. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, you got to be able to have leave room, you know, per leave earlier room. discussion. So, you got to have room for the salad. I don't eat that. And for the dessert. I don't eat that. And all of, dude, the bread pudding at Folks Folly, have you had that? Have you had their caramel cake? Oh, my gosh. All right, so if you call in and you tell them you're celebrating something, they will bring you a little caramel cake. Yes, I ate that. It was good. That was probably the best thing I had all night. It was for my birthday. If we continue our current trajectory, I'm not going to be able to do this podcast. (laughs) 10-4. All right, start the thing. Welcome to Products of Grace, a podcast by Murfield Church. My name is Blake McCullough. <laughs> I'm stupid. <laughs> and with me today, I have Lawson Harlow, who's a genius, and Dr. Anik, who's not Don. <laughs> I don't know why I just said my name is Blake McCullough. That yeah, was an accident. Why, why, why and then did, I just, geez. that was an accident. And then I was like, I'll just go from there. Okay, I'm sorry. So, Dr. Anik. Wait, what are we doing today? So, Dr. Anik, what are we doing today? So today, we will discuss why debt is dumb, cash is king, and the paid-off home mortgage should take the place of the Ford Lightning as the status symbol of choice. Oh, sorry. Wrong wrong podcast. Um, <laughs> Somebody... <never heard. laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, okay. Today, we will discuss... I would love to pay off my mortgage. The, okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, go ahead. The Fair. musings of Dr. Anik. So we have several topics that we can discuss, some of which are beauty, architecture, cussing, <gasps> cussing. the lack of biblical support for a tripartite division of the Mosaic Law, <laughs> how homeschooling <laughs> is far superior to public school, and... Holy moly, bro. The... Tyranny of lesser joys. Uh, no, it's not even going to be here for the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not even going to be here. I just got that. Uh, uh, it uh, is sad. We missed Don. It's the last episode of 2022. I'm saying forever. <laughs> yeah, Don's no, not here. About all those Don's never going to come back. Yeah. Okay. We're, right we are... Uh, Sorry, we, Don. Yes. Um... So before we get into our topics today, I'm freaking scared. So Lawson, <laughs> so Lawson, I feel like we segment. haven't done that in a while. So Lawson, Lawson, why do you hate Android? Because of green bubbles. Green bubbles. It's so it's one app. No, it's it's the most important app. So it's not it's not the iPhone that is amazing. It's iMessage. So if you had iMessage on Android, would you have an Android? No. Oh. That's it? Well, I mean, I have an iPad. I use an iPhone. They all sync together wonderfully. Oh, I love fair. them. Yeah, that's I'm fair. fully integrated. Yeah, that's my fully issue. Though, I, got, I have a Samsung TV, and it, it integrates with my phone. That's fair. <laughs> I um, But I'll never go to an to a, um, Apple computer ever again. Uh, 
Yeah. Apple computer. Our current Apple computer that we use at our church building meeting space is a complete piece of junk and slow as Give it to me when (laughs) we change that. I love love Apple computers. I I would actually, with how bad that one is, like I bought that thing in 2000 and the end of 2019. I have never in my life used a slower computer that cost as much as that one did. Yeah. There's got to be something wrong with it. Somebody would like be look at it and go, oh, flip this setting. Oh, it works now. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know. But people who knew Apple's looked at it. <laughs> but the issue is I can buy a Windows computer for the price of that one and it can mm-hmm. be top tier for six years. Right. And I like the fact that you can actually swap out parts. True. True. Um. <clears throat> okay. Are you going to have a So Blake segment? No, but I'm going to have a So Don segment. Oh, no. So Don, since Don's not here today, we're going to have a So Don segment. And since he can't defend himself, my premise of the So Don segment is, Don, your spouse should be your best friend. Oh, oh I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. <laughs> oh. so me and Beth have... Uh, that's been a thing with us since like before we were ever married. Like in my one of my nicknames for her is friend. Friend. And like literally we've always talked about your best friend. I used to give I mean I guess maybe I still do but I used to always give younger guys advice and be like just need to find your best friend and you marry her. <laughs> and so Don's premise is that which I agree with is that, that wife supersedes. It's right. A bigger, wife it's supersedes. a better category. It's a better category, but it does not negate the best friend category. And my thing is, why would you have someone else that's your best friend? That would just be weird. Okay, is best... I, go ahead. I think that best friend is assumed. So it's like wife, spouse, mm-hmm. is is like the the biggest bucket, right? Right. It's assumed that best friend is within that bucket. Mm-hmm. So give the lesser title to whoever your next best friend is. So it's your second best friend. But they're your best friend because because best friend is just included in the larger bucket of mm-hmm. of spouse. I guess that yeah, if you define it that way, that could work. I'm looking forward to the retaliation of this. Um, <laughs> That's kind of how. I think. So, in regard to wife, I still prefer Brad. I use Brad more than I use anything else. I yeah, just, you know, someone's like raring back against that on big Twitter. Big time. Like your wife hasn't been your bride since her wedding day. Yeah, they're big mad about really? it. Really? Yeah, I hmm. get it. Yeah, I, I understand the argument, and I think it's because wife has been so derogatorily used. I just like saying Brad because it gets it kind of brings out the southern twang. The I like bride. I like Brad because to me there Brad. is Brad denotes in my mind care, and I think beauty too. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think it also denotes Brad. like a like a freshness to the relationship in a sense. I'm okay. I don't with know. I still see her the same way. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, okay. Kenny Porter always calls Miss Cindy his bride. And that's right. and that's precious. Yes, and they've been yeah. married like forever. And yeah. I'm telling you, he treats her, oh, I yeah. think, better than any man I've ever seen yeah. treat his wife. Like ever since, like always opens the door for her to get in the car, to yeah. go in anywhere, pulls a chair out for her, like yeah. all this stuff. And they've been married and have a, for, 
I don't know, however many, I don't know. many, many, many. He also years. gives the, he also gives the best hugs. Yeah, Kenny he gives does. great hugs. He does. Um, so I think best friend is in there. I think I'm with Blake though that there's a there's another tier, mm-hmm. and the and the tier underneath it does not need to be robbed of the title best friend. And then also, are you okay with calling more than one person your best friend? If that's the case, then the word's useless anyway. I agree. People call, I got like six best friends. No, that's not best. Yeah, like Drew Thomas. Best is like you have a best friend. My joke joke is that at at Drew Thomas's funeral, there'll be a thousand people that are like, yeah, man, we were best friends. And it's Uh like, you're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. (laughs) Anyway, I'm convinced that will be the case. Yes. Okay. So, well, so I'm glad Don's not here to defend himself. I needed to get that off my chest. You've been sitting on that <laughs> one for, or that one's been sitting on you, I guess, for what? I don't a know, year three and years, half, however years. long we've been doing this thing. Um, all right. So, with that, gentlemen, <laughs> I'm so scared. We're going to find out if this episode is for the birds. For the birds. For the birds. This man's looking it up. Okay. This uh, it is a U.S. Army slang. Really, originated toward the end of World War II. Interesting. And an early example was from Sergeant Buck Erickson, which was published in a interview where he said, "Don't take too seriously this belief that we have football at Camp Ellis solely for the entertainment of the personnel. That's strictly for the birds." The army is a winner. The army likes to win. That's the most fortunate thing in the world for America. All right. So that's for the birds is a shortened form. This is interesting of the vulgar version. That's bleep for the birds. That suggests the the derivative derivation 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 of the phrase, which is the habit of some birds of pecking at horse droppings in order Gross. to find seeds. Nasty. So they were both defined in an American edition of speech from 1944. That's for the birds. It means nonsense, drivel, and irrelevant. Yep. For the birds. All right. So. What are you doing in your brain right now? I'm just thinking about it for the birds. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird question. Like what, we are you, the... what are you doing in your brain? <laughs> anyway. I was thinking about feeding the birds as a kid. And That's for the trying birds. Trying to make the connection. Okay, mm-hmm. fair. Like we give the stale bread to the birds. Poor birds. Which apparently oh. it's bad. Leftovers. Not supposed to give. Because it hurts them. Birds bread or like popcorn or you know, Oh, yeah. Stuff. You're not supposed to give them bread? I knew you were I supposed so. to give them like, there's some seeds and stuff you're not supposed to. Isn't it rice? It's rice. rice. You're not supposed to throw rice at a wedding because so they'll swell you, yeah, up and they'll just fall out of the sky dead. Yeah, if you, see rice, if you see rice at a wedding, you know for sure there's some dead birds. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sheesh. A friend of mine gave birds uh, Alka-Seltzer one time. No. Mm-hmm. Like they put it in the thing. No. They straight exploded. No. Nice. Thought it was great too, actually. No. All right. So That's I have birds. several topics okay. that okay. we can discuss. So we can hit them quickly or we can hit a couple in more depth. So I'm going to tell you what they are. <laughs> okay. Then y'all can choose your own adventure book. Okay. We have <laughs> Christian speech. I think this is, that'd be a fun one. I think that'd be a fun one. Ecumenism. We've, we've kind of done ecumenism. I have, I have to at least tell you about my dream that's in that topic. Um, <laughs> We're not really that funny. kind of church. Ecclesiology. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of. Uh, ecclesiology, church relationships, 
Like and within the church or were between churches? Uh, relationships within the church. Okay. And beauty. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what happened to our joy one? Lawson's That's like, within don't, beauty. Don't rob beauty of its own episode for Lawson's yeah. sake. It'll never happen. Well, we can just do that one. All right. All right. Let's go through the list. We're going to go... We're going to go rapid fire. Rapid fire it's, four, it's 4.50 right now. Yep. We've, got, we've got almost a solid hour. 55 minutes. Let's do it. So my goal is we hit the first three quickly and focus on beauty for the majority I'm here of it. for it. Let's go. All right. Christian speech. All right. What is corrupting talk? And is cursing always sinful? Hmm. Cursing can't always be sinful because I think we have positive connotations for cursing in the Bible. Mm. Such as? In specific moments. Like, I don't know, I think Paul uses some pretty strong language yeah. about <clears throat> veering back into sin after you've died to it. Mm-hmm. And he says, by no means. Like, I think that's... a. Yeah, yeah. And the Greek is a strong, <clears throat> strong word. But the word rubbish is a word that would have been probably in, in that day considered the same way that we use the word profanity, the word that's translated rubbish. Yeah, so I think there's specific instances where Paul, in essence, curses inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? I don't want to no. So you like, got to define. See, yeah, so, so, so this no, is the, the, so oh, no, yeah, this is gonna no, be no. interesting. So let's let's <laughs> let's let's take two different terms, shall we? Let's take cursing. Cursing in and of itself is its own category. Then there's then let's take firm language, strong yeah. language. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because cursing is is explicitly sinful. Yes. Strong language is not explicitly sinful. Mm-hmm. So the two but categories. the word we cursing, use for cursing, not... we all we use the word cursing to talk about strong language. No, we use the. So I agree with you, but I think that we use the word cursing not so much about strong language. We use the word cursing the way that we use the word cussing, which is apparently a southernism. Yeah, but I'm saying still, it's like we're it's whenever we but, use strong. But cursing, but cursing in our context is particular words, not strong language. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. Right, like like I can say I can say I can use strong language without using um, a word that's considered a cuss word in our culture, and I'm not cussing. I'm just using strong language yeah. in our culture. Yeah, but cursing someone is actually wishing harm upon them, or ca- like I mean, calling them fool. I think is pretty clear in scripture to be wrong. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I would not say the Holy Spirit inspired cursing. I mean, but I was using it in the terms of... Strong language. Yes. Okay. Which is what seemingly we use interchangeably. So what makes a cuss word a cuss word? Is it is it cultural? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I think it, the innate, the innateness of the word, like the word, the wordness of the word, yes, is cultural. Like... The, the, I mean, I think I was, I was watching a Disney movie the other day. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was Cinderella. Cinderella. Um, even in Cinderella, there's a, there's a comment that the, the, uh, what's the fairy godmother, right? Mm-hmm. Is like rushing Cinderella off to the ball and she says, go be gay. Right. right. Like the, the way words develop inside of culture mm-hmm. and words develop into curse words. Every word, as far as I know, 
pretty much every word we have did not originate as a profanity. Yeah. Seemingly. There's there's a two that I can think of that might not fall yeah. into that category. Yeah. But I think the rest fall into like these are words that meant one thing and then they derogatorily picked up meaning as they went and have become corrupt to where we use alternative words now. So mm-hmm. the a cuss word <clears throat> is not the sound of the vowels and consonants coming <laughs> no. out of your mouth. No. So no. so but oh. we have there's quote unquote Christian cuss words. Yeah. Where we would say we would use an alternative to a cuss word to sure. mean the exact same thing. Nothing makes you feel guilty about your Christian cuss words like having kids. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. And then you hear it out of their mouth and you're like, ah. Beth, look, Beth said, <laughs> Beth said, uh, we were, she missed a turn the other day and she said, dang it. And about 10 seconds later, Revan goes, dang it, dang it, dang it, yeah. dang it. It's just like on repeat. We've had a similar situation with dad gummit. And Beth was, like, Beth was like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Um, all right, let's, just, let's go to the text and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, I think one of the paramount texts for this is Ephesians 5, 3. Um, so it starts off, but sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Uh, as is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Um, and so like that that verse, like verse four there, I think is one that's really important. I think some of this, like in the way that we speak, there are things that are appropriate for the moment and things that are not appropriate for the moment. Like this yeah. kind of, Charles and I were talking about something earlier, and it's like there there are context in which things are appropriate and there's context in which things are not. Um, and I think this is borderline just like uh, image bearer stuff. Like there's, there's some innateness and you even know when someone's violating those boundaries, it's like, whoa, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's coarse talk that's coarse talk period in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. There is, there's no category in which there's ground for this. Then there's, then there's coarse talk that's largely based upon the context you're in, right? So like we could be having a very serious and important conversation over something substantive, and if we were around our children, we would instantly stop the conversation, mm-hmm. right? And same thing if we're having a conversation about something that is substantive, it's it, it's it, it's not sinful. It's just a conversation about something that maybe we're not going to have in front of our, in front of, like, I, there's a conversation I'm going to have with you that I'm not going to have with you when your wife is in front of you, mm-hmm. right? And vice mm-hmm. versa. And so I think those play a role into that. What I want to be careful of in the midst of this is to say that, uh, I, th- I think this is kind of where this lands from time to time, is that if it's, if it's coarse in front of anybody, or if it's, if it's coarse in front of everybody, it's coarse in front of anybody. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. That's just not true. That We don't function that way in any category. It's mm-hmm. like, and the same thing I think with like gossip, for instance, like if you add gossip into this, gossip isn't, isn't I'm having a conversation in my home with my wife to work through something. Gossip is I'm going out and intentionally slandering someone publicly so that their reputation is marred. Mm-hmm. Like there's a vast distinction there. Um, and so, now you can gossip with your spouse. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying yeah. that there's the the context matters. But no, I wouldn't say the actual structure of a word is is like the word's wordiness is sinful in and of itself. Its uses most certainly can be. I also think that this might fall into the category of of modesty 
and making sure that you are not using language that is innately, um, culturally innately profane. Mm. I think it's really interesting that the culture as a whole has unofficially agreed on what words are curse words. Yeah. And, and have said, and people either say, I know this is a curse word and I'm going to say it because I'm, it's cool to say curse words yeah, yeah, yeah. or this is a curse word. And so therefore I'm not going to use these certain curse words. And I just find it really interesting because if you go in a different culture in a different language, oh, yeah. that same word is not, or you can go to different parts of the country that maybe even speak, say, English, yeah. and words, and Christians use certain words that we would say are cuss words here in the South that they use in a perfectly normal conversation up there. Yeah, I, I remember being, I was on a mission trip in Ottawa, Canada one time, and the pastor of the church was described, was telling a story, and part of the story was that he was uh, going number two, to use Don's term. And he said the the term for that starts with an S. And then just very casually in his story said Whoa. that. And I was like, what? And we were all like taken aback. I mean, all of us were from the South on this mission trip in Canada. And they were like, he was like, what? And he had no idea that the connotation of that word in our context was inappropriate. Like mm-hmm. he had just kind of like in their context, that was just normal. That was a normal. This was just like a normal it. conversation or is this pulpit? No, it was normal. Uh, okay. It was just like talking talking over, I don't know, some kind of break or something. And I was just like taken aback by it. And that was my first, I guess, experience with like seeing how different regions who speak the same language have different connotations for the same. I mean, it's the same thing. Like if you were to, there are words that don't matter to us that like if, if you said it to a, like a British person, they'd lose their mind about, hmm. right? I don't sure. know. I think there are. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, again, I, I think, and you know, perhaps it is my innate offense at that term, the two terms that I was thinking of that may not have an origin and normative speech included that one. No, like I really do think that's a normal word. It in, is. In in I've heard the same thing. I've had friends that have gone up there and it's like a lot of their pastor friends and other Christians, they just, they literally just talk like that all the mm. time. It's like, it's part, it's just a normal word, just like we would use any other word. I do think modesty comes to play in this. I think and so too. I think that Romans 14 comes to play in this. Uh, like I, I think I, I remember kind of like coming of age in the YRR world of Young Restless and Reformed. Where it was like, this isn't your mother's Christian playlist or like, this isn't your grandmother's church. And like that being kind of like a, a draw to be like, we're okay with drinking and smoking pipes and cussing a little, you know? And it was Mm. like, I don't know. It just felt immodest all around. And there was kind of like this assumption that like, well, if you came into this robust theological tradition, then you automatically had the freedom to use coarse language. And, uh, I never really appreciated that. I think there's like there's some modesty involved there where it's like if you obviously have to read the room, first of all, but second of all, you have to understand that like if you're using a word literally just for the shock value of it or because you can, because mm. it's a word that is a real word that you can say and you're going to get some kind of a rise out of some, someone, then you definitely shouldn't use it mm-hmm. as a Christian. I, so I... I, I 
I agree again uh, with the assessment that in, the word itself is not intrinsically sinful. However, I, I'm going to be really... I, I don't know if I'd place this in... I'm not so sure I'd drop this in the conscience category. Sure. And the only reason the only reason I wouldn't the only reason I wouldn't and I, and I and I could I could be persuaded probably but the reason I wouldn't drop this in the conscience category I would say culturally right is because the use of the term is not and maybe it's the abuse of it maybe the abuse of it's what I'm thinking of um, because I think that there is without question a time for firm and hard and strong language. Yeah. Like I actually think that we have suffered as a culture because we refuse to use strong language. Sure. We have to be willing to use strong language. We have to be able to use it to people's faces. That does not mean go cuss someone out. I'm actually, I would encourage you to never use something that would fall into the category of profanity um, or at bare minimum, almost never. Um, like, yeah. I mean, I, I think like, like I have told someone that they were in damnable sin, right? Like that some mm-hmm. people would yeah, maybe fall in that context. into context. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's what I'm you're saying. Right. I hear you. So, um, I mean, I, I've used that term from the pulpit. I think in context, appropriate, it's appropriate yeah. in its use. Um, but, but I think the, the danger in our uses, uh-huh. right? And, and I'm just thinking about this from our context. The danger in our uses of the word is it is uniquely worldly, Yes. So that's where mm. I was saying, I, I get what you're saying there about yeah, like, yeah. I definitely believe that there's a line. Yes. yes. And yes, there yes. are certain words that I think that it, you would be hard pressed to use them in an unsinful way. Yeah. I can think of a couple. You're never going to convince me. Right. Yeah. But for the rest of them. Yeah. Like, I do think that there is a conscience arena where yeah. you're using kind of like your, your like softer, what we would call profane words right profanity curse words your kind of softer ones quote unquote i hate that but it's real where you could you can place that in the in the conscience category yeah Mm -hmm. but i also am i am very well aware too that there's like a temptation when you're with as a man like with other men that you can be looser with your language that I'm not a fan of no, either. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that, like, that gets at the whole heart of the issue is not that we're trying to protect women and children from bad words, right? Like, it's not mm. like we can get among guys and be and be looser with our language. Like, I think that it should be a matter of principle, right, that we we care about the words we use. Yeah. And personally, as an English teacher... You sound like a moron. I think cursing is lazy. Yeah. I was just going to say the same thing. And I tell my students this because all of these like top 100 books, like half of them have a curse word in the title and it's just for shock value. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's just lazy. Like if you cannot, if you cannot rely on your own academic prowess, right? To like craft something that is, is good Mm -hmm. and you have to rely on shock, the shock value of curse words, then you just have a bad vocabulary. Sorry. I think it's the the dumbing down of language over the like you if yeah. you look at say it, if you read the say Federalist and Anti Federalist papers yeah. at the formula of our government and see how the arguments that these guys use towards one another and how they would like rake one another over the coals yeah. in a way using vocabulary that I'm just like bro and people you know I'm I'm in construction so yeah yeah we like, get it. yeah yeah it's like. I roll my eyes at people. Yeah. There's some people it's just like, 
you're such an idiot because you think that like that's the only three words that exist. Yeah, like right. you put every other word is a yeah. cuss word, and it's like it doesn't make you look any smarter. Yeah, it, it just means that your vocabulary is lacking. Yeah, yeah if, if I were to if I were to sum this up, maybe I, I would say this: strong language is necessary. It's used throughout Scripture. I think it needs to be used, especially in our conversations, one with another, primarily on an individualistic level, right? Like there is a time for you, a, a word fitly spoken to speak firmly to someone. I, the way that I think about this is especially in regard to unrepentant sin, right? Like sure. I'm, I'm going to, you're not going to come to me and tell me about a grievous sin and me, me coddle you. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I think the use, at least in our culture, I'll use this. I think that there are sins that are common and that are and that are sinful specifically based upon the culture that you're in. I know that sure. a lot of people don't affirm that, but I think that that's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, that being the case, I don't see a time in which you should ever be flippant with the words that we're that we're all thinking about. Probably mm-hmm. uh, that you should be flippant with those words. I think that it's a it's a mar to your witness. Sincerely, like I know the joke here is like, oh, it's going to hurt your witness. I think it actually is damaging to your witness. Yeah. Um, I think it reveals that you don't have the ability to control yourself. Yep. Yeah. Like if, if your reaction in the midst of anger or frustration is to go straight to a coarse word instead of being able to control yourself and work that out, then I think that, that that's a problem. And so I think controlling tongue, knowing what words to use and developing a way to speak firmly without speaking coarsely. Mm-hmm. That should, I, think, I think the aim of the tongue here should be, I can speak firmly, I don't have to speak profanely. Mm. <laughs> what? I was thinking about this quote I saw yesterday from uh, Alexander Hamilton to Thomas Jefferson when you said federal supremacy. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, there are approximately one million ten thousand three hundred words in the English language, but I could never string enough words together to properly express how much I want to hit you with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Oh, so send me that quote. Send me that quote. <laughs> I need awesome. that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Ecumenism. Oh, gosh. Let's talk about my dream. Give us I, I can do this one so what much faster. Probably. Probably. This, this, one's fun. this one's fun. Okay. Okay. So the other night, I don't remember which night it was, I had this dream and I woke up and I was just like cracking up about it. So I had this dream that we were in a different building than this building. Uh-huh. It was like a big church building. Like it had a balcony and stuff. Uh-huh. Ooh. And for some reason, we had let this Catholic church was coming in to like do something. Mm. And I walk in and they had like reset up our stage and they had mics like pointing around the outside and all these people were like sitting in a circle. And I walk in and they're like singing some hymn, but it sounded all monk-like, you know. Did you have a fever? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, it was a hymn that we know. I don't remember which hymn it was, but it was. I was yeah. like, man, they sound pretty good. And I look over at the soundboard, and they had this like device plugged in that was a weird shape, and all the mics coming out of it. Well, Lawson nope. sees this. Oh, okay, maybe this is this real. device and goes. Oh man, I know what that is. I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to hear what they're fixing to play over the sound system. 
So he goes over in this little corner. It was like a it was like a review box kind of thing for like referees. <laughs> <laughs> and he puts on headphones and the dude starts playing whatever it was that they were gonna play at the start of their like what I don't even know what was going on. I don't think it was a Sunday. It was like some other day. I don't even remember. But that, like the place was full. It was all like from this church and like all Mercy Hill was there. And huh. like and Lawson starts listening, and all of a sudden he goes, "Nope, y'all gonna have to leave." I heard a hail mary. <laughs> oh my gosh! Bro, and, what? And he's, he's like, "I heard a hail mary," and y'all, y'all gonna have to leave. And he's like, and then and I was sitting next to Don. <laughs> And, and Don and I look at each other and I was like, nope. And Don gets up to like walk over where you're at. And then, so our family's not sitting together. And Jude is like three rows over that way between some friends. And like mm. Beth's on some other row. And <laughs> Jude <laughs> hollers out, well, why'd you let him come in the first place? <laughs> Good man. Good man. First of all, I just want to say I've never remembered a dream with that much specificity. Yeah, okay. I, I like I literally I got up and told it to Beth so I could remember it because yeah. I thought it was really funny and I've been waiting to tell y'all about it. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. So, First of all, that would never happen. Yeah, but not dead body. Why'd you bring him in the first place? If there's a group of Catholics <laughs> about to lead service in here, just know I'm dead somewhere in a corner. 100% dead. I, took, I like take Jude yeah, yeah. outside and I like had him up against the wall, give him the what for about yelling out in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> give him the what for. <laughs> Listen, yelling out's for the birds. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, that's the time. That's the time. I've actually thought about this in my life. Of like, at what point do I stand up and say no? Yeah. Right? Like, if you're somewhere else, have you ever thought about this? Oh, wait. And I'm sure you have. I've actually thought about you saying that to me when I'm preaching. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, at first, it wasn't you. It was Don. I used to be so scared of Don. We've talked about this, uh, me and Don. But then I used to be like, he's just, he's getting ready to, he, like, Julie, let's go. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Because I just didn't. At first, I didn't know him, and I was preaching, and I was just worried. Yeah. There was a there was a day when I was preaching, and uh, Drew Huckabee got up really fast, and he looked so frustrated, and he walked out the back door with like heat. You know what I mean? And I I, I was I mean like mid sermon, and I was I was like that man straight got up and left in the middle of my sermon because he was mad about something I said. I called him, and he was I was like, hey man, like you good? He was like, yeah, I got a work call. And like the whole, for like the another, for like for like another twenty minutes, I'm like mortified that I'm gonna have to call him and figure out what just happened. It's like, yeah, I just had a work call. All right. All right. Um, what was I gonna say? So, what's the question in ecumenicalism? No. Did you ever consider becoming anything other than Baptist? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. What was yours? I mean, just like non and um. Oh. Like I think I've always. Us, I've always assumed like being Baptistic, but as far as being like in a in a traditionally Baptist church, I thought about leaving that mm. a couple times. No, like Presbyterians, Pentecostal. No, Oof. like I I was pretty uh pretty convinced of of credo baptism from a pretty early age, and. 
I, I was on John MacArthur's mailing list in high school, and so gosh, you're such a nerd. I was pretty. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty discipled against uh, anything Pentecostal in that uh, in that time. So yeah, I had a, I had a ton of opportunities uh, in Methodism that I, I I mean I I frankly took them when they came. I was in I was. Nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I had a lot of opportunities. I took them. I taught. I preached at a couple of uh, events and things like that. And then just, but I had ar- I was already resolved to be a Baptist because I was torn when I was growing up between Methodism and Baptist. But then uh, my dad told me one time that um, I asked him a question about once saved, always saved, or now as an adult, the preservation of the saints. And uh, and he said, you're going to have to read your Bible and figure that out for yourself. So I did that, and now I'm a Baptist. Heard it. Roger that. Yeah. That solo scriptura will turn you to a Baptist too quick. Mm-hmm. Too quick. All right. Ecclesiology. Let's do it. Oh, it's one of my favorites. All right. What was I telling you the other day? This is like such a broad... I'm for it. What did I tell you the other day? Like some people come in through ecclesiology, some people come in through soteriology, but either way, we're going to give them both. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Some people come here for good ecclesiology and some people come here because of bad ecclesiology. It's so real. No, I think (laughs) think the latter is more true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then it takes a while to get figure figure out good ecclesiology. It's like I know I don't like that over there, yeah. but experiencing this over here has been more difficult than I expected it to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's real. Yeah. Anyway, are there any are there yeah. other ways that solid churches can build their identity on something other than Christ? For instance, this is I know, throwback. You, I know this is yours. Reform doctrine. I know he's going to do this. This is his thing. Or I think that's a senior hard. pastor. I knew he was going to do it. <laughs> this is your hobby horse. Just know I'm. I'm I don't with have you. one hobby horse. I have this one of them. Yeah, I think it's a hard category because a lot of people are quick to throw stones at people who have gathered around reformed doctrine. But like our reformed doctrine is tied to our beliefs about the gospel and about Christ, and mm-hmm. so it's easy to throw stones and be like, "You guys are just together because you have the same theology," and it's like. Yeah, yeah, that's the same belief about yeah, God. Yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do think, though, on to your point, and for I'm assuming the reason you asked this question, I do think that we can be more excited about a system of theology than we are about Christ, and I think mm. that we definitely have to watch that in ourselves and and encourage our brothers and sisters as we live together that. Like John Calvin didn't die for your sins, and Charles Spurgeon does not stand to mediate for you before the Father, and so like chill out on them. You know what I mean? Like I think I've had many of those conversations, and I remember having those conversations, being on the other end of that as as someone you know in my late teens, you know, being like like chill out, man. Like it's. Like we have Christ in common, not necessarily who our favorite theologian is. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So, why does an equal plurality of elders make a healthy church? I mean, it doesn't. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't mm. alone. It um, helps. Yeah, it helps. So, good answer. Um, <laughs> the uh, 
the the thing that makes a healthy church, I mean, <clears throat> is a is a multiplicity of things. I'm not going to steal from Mark Devers nine marks, but frankly, the first thing that makes a healthy church is expository preaching. Can we do Lawson's ten laws? <laughs> Shut up! Book idea. New from Mercy Hill Press. As long as my face can be on the front, oh so everybody gosh. knows not to read it. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, but the there are a ton of churches, I would argue, that have a multiplicity of elders that aren't healthy. Mm. Um, mm. And so there's it's not just a multiplicity of elders. It's, it's a congregation. Like, we can't ever underestimate or undervalue the congregation's uh, contribution to the health of a church. Yes. If you underestimate the congregation's contribution, then you're, you don't have a church. You have like an audience mm. and that's a vast distinction. Um, and so, you know, I, I would, I would say that a multiplicity of elders is, is good. It's helpful. I would argue it's right. Um, but frankly, it's only as good as the people they serve. And so, mm-hmm. if the if the elders are serving the congregation well, they're serving they're serving uh, the sheep of God's pasture. They're serving people who repent when they're confronted. They're serving people who love the Bible, who love to be edified, love to be encouraged, love to study the scriptures together, love to eat. I mean, I think, in the, and mm-hmm. I mean that in the biblical sense, they like to they like to eat the word. Um, and uh, and so. You know, when you, whenever you, whenever you turn, I think the danger of any major um, ecclesiastical mark um, is is um, making it central. Mm. It's not so much. It's not so much a, a centerpiece where like there's this one pillar and this one pillar falls. The only pillar that can fall that can ruin the church altogether is the pillar of justification by faith alone. That falls, just burn the whole thing to the ground. Let's move <laughs> on. Um, which is obviously founded upon right faith in Christ and Christ alone. Like it's gospel, it's Christ. When that pillar falls, everything else is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, but in regard to to actually the outworking of the church, the outworking of the church needs multiple pillars that God has set up. It's like you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, fantastic. But if you don't devote yourself to fellowship, the church is going to be uh, imbalanced at best. Mm-hmm. Yep. You devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, but you don't devote yourself to the to the breaking of bread. You neglect the table. You're going to have mm-hmm. major issues, um, and so you know. I just, it, to me, I think there's a danger in placing emphasis upon one of the pillars, one of the marks, whatever, one of the laws. Um, <laughs> if you do that, then you're going to have a, a wop-sided church, which I think can, and I think probably most often, one of your hobby horses is a reformed seeker sensitive church right mm, yeah where the reformed seeker sensitive person is is seeking after a particular type of preaching mm-hmm. right and, and and first of all i don't think it's necessarily problematic mm-hmm. it's problematic when it's the only thing you're looking for right yeah um because then it just becomes like you're going to the preaching house like you're exactly. going to watch the preacher and you have no connection to the body yeah yeah, which is where you can like back to the first question about building your identity on something other than Christ. Like that's what you're saying is that any of these pillars are good, but if you focus on one over the other, whether it's your identity is in a senior pastor or whether your identity is oh we're a church that has a multiplicity yeah, of elders, yeah. 
it's still something that's other than Christ. Yeah, I tell people all the time if they're asking about like the identity or the marks of our church, I got asked, I mean, the last, I had this conversation a couple months ago and it was just really, it was like, tell me about the church. And the first thing I go to, frankly, is not the multiplicity of elders, it's the congregation, mm-hmm. right? Like the congregation is the church. The multiplicity of elders are actually a part of the congregation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so like the congregation, the people is really what is the life of the church, you pull the people out, and what have you got? You've got a, you've got somebody preaching, which is fantastic, but you, you got to have a people to preach to. Mm-hmm. And I also think going back to the dangers of a seeker sensitivity around the pulpit, and frankly around the multiplicity of elders, is knowledge of those elders. I, there's just mm-hmm. this really unhealthy balance, in my opinion, of separation between elders and congregation. One of the mm-hmm. best ways to make sure that an elder or a pastor or a preacher or whoever it is, is not pedestaled is for you to be close to them because mm. then you're going to realize they're just a man. Like there's a great danger in distance. Your two options for distance is I'm going to assume ungraciously about that person all the time or I'm going to exalt that person. Mm. There are only two options. Mm. And, 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 and depending on where you're standing and who it is, if it's a peer, you're probably going to assume ungraciously. Yeah. If it's an authority figure who performs well, Mm. you're probably going to exalt. And so if you're exalting, like give him a minute, give him a minute. Like he's going to stumble. He's going to fall at some point or another. The beauty of being close is you'll see me do it firsthand. It'll probably just be around your dinner table. (laughs) Or broadcast it on this program. Or broadcast (laughs) it on this program. Right. So like the distance is the danger. And so there's so many different pieces to that, but I think that's one of the most important. Yeah. I think the major piece that I, I find myself thinking about a lot is, I used to talk a lot about how it's ridiculous to think that a a theological position that puts man in the dust like Reformed theology Mm -hmm. would produce pride. Can. Is is crazy, right? Like it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. but it does, right? Like mm-hmm. we or it doesn't, but we in our sin twist it to to make us proud. Like like the fact that we would be proud about a <laughs> theological system that says that you you offer nothing, right, is ridiculous. But I've now shifted that. Well, I offer less than you, Blake, because we have to shift. Now, 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 the shift is we believe in ecclesiology that is characterized by simplicity. Yeah. To be arrogant about that, <laughs> right? It's, it's ridiculous. And so, like, I find myself now, you know, it's like the grown-up version of of being like, stop being arrogant about your theological beliefs. Like now, it's like stop being arrogant about like what we believe about the church. Because, mm-hmm. like, yes, obviously we believe we're right, which is why we're doing it the way that we're doing it. But it's like the simplicity of it reminds us right that that we are actually asking god to do something that we cannot do yeah. mm. and so like there's no amount of pride that makes any sense in that situation and 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 that's that that's what is like constantly before my mind when i think about our ecclesiology is like all we can really do is 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 ask god and thank god when it happens big facts mm. and so yeah. and be faithful in the middle right <clears throat> That's good. All right, church relationships. It kind of builds in with They're this good. conversation. <laughs> They're good. Next. Okay. <laughs> okay, so here's here's kind of the thought. That we're, on, we're on rapid fire mode. Right. What time do you have to leave? We're not getting a beauty. We're not getting a beauty. We're not getting but a beauty. What? I do thought you said you had till 5.50. It's 5.24. 5.45 okay. is what I said. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's talking about Christ and talking about theology, two different things, and 
I'd say that in the context of we're talking about uh, practical ways of having meaningful conversations about Christ within the church. And I was having a conversation with a brother about how do you have those like practical ways you can have those conversations. Do you just, are you just talking about theology for three hours? Do you talk about Christ for three hours straight? Are those two different things? And like, how, how do you kind of foster those deeper relationships, meaningful conversations with brothers and sisters in the church? Darren Day takes me today, and he said, hey, do you have time today? And I said, I'm, I'm reading, and I've got a couple things to do. What do you need? He said, oh, I just wanted to do some relationship building. <laughs> I would encourage that. I literally text him back, and I said, this is my favorite text message I've ever received. <laughs> it's like it's so explicit. I was like, well, what are we doing? He was like, I don't know. Talk to you about how you are. How's your family? Vice versa. It'll be good. I'm like, I just love this man. <laughs> yeah, that's the dream, right? The dream mm-hmm. is where you can you can drift in and out of theological conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to where it's not a surprise. Like you know that it's it's going to happen, but mm-hmm. it's not like we're getting together to talk theology or to talk about Christ. It's like I love you, you love me. We have a we're common a great affection, big family. Yeah. Don't uh, <laughs> you know, you think about like yeah, like we have a common affection, something that we are going to drift into that conversation and we might drift out and talk about my kid and what he did or my job or your hobby, but then we're going to drift back in. We're going to drift out and drift back in. I think that is, and whether it's talking about Christ, whether it's talking about God and his faithfulness to us, whether it's talking about theological you know, rabbit trails that we're going down, uh, any of those things, like I, I just, I all am always for the simplicity of moving in and out of those conversations. And I think the biggest hindrance to that is being afraid that what you have to say is not going to be good enough. Affirm. And I just don't think that exists, right? Like I think one of the best entry points, right? One of the things I used to ask would be like, well, what's the Lord teaching you in the word? And that like automatically assumes that someone has to be like sitting with eight commentaries and a Bible at five a.m. every day, right? You know, digging deep into something. And so I've shifted now into being like, uh, what what's something from one of the sermons the past few weeks that's just really stuck with you or hit you? And I think that like that reinforces the fact that our main intake of scripture is together with our brothers and sisters and like other intakes of scriptures are are good and we're never going to say don't do that but that like when we're together like we are we are experiencing this together on sunday mornings what's something that's really stuck out to you or hit you or something that you haven't been able to stop thinking about and they may not even have anything for that and that's fine right like there's going to be something that's like this really stuck out to me three weeks ago and it may not yeah. even be deep and it's that's fine. Mm-hmm. I would not put a contrast between speaking of Christ and speaking <clears throat> of theology. If that is a contrast, I think it's an inappropriate one. Um, no, but I do think if there is a contrast, that means that you're, yeah. you have theology in the wrong place in your mind. I would, mm-hmm. yeah, affirm. In your life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, if you, like, and th- this is like the same same thing of where when someone can give you a defense of, a defense of uh, definite atonement, but can't do it in a worshipful way. He has bad theology. <laughs> can't mm. do it without being a jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if I, like, I, my brother-in-law, every time we drive somewhere, we're, we're, I'm, 
he's going to be like, hey, can you tell me about the five points of Calvinism again? Every time, never fails. For seven hours, I drive down and I walk him through the five points. This is real. <laughs> and um, and every time, it's like I get the definite atonement, and I'm like, Brad, this one just gets me. Let's. And I mean, I mean, it's like I'm sorry, you signed up for an hour here. Yeah. Um, because it's a it's a it's a joy to me. Um, so I, I would say. Like your conversations being filled with these things is good and right. I think that the normal flow of conversation, period, like you just mentioned, is an in and out of pretty much every topic on the table, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like um, if, if here's what I'll say. If, if the topic, if a topic on the table is not doctrine, theology, Christ, your own spiritual walk, if that's not on the table, then that's problematic. Mm. All right, so Spurgeon quote that's always stuck with me from my favorite sermon by him. Spurgeon doesn't intercede for you. I'm aware, and but he he, he does have, he does have the same intercessor. Um, holla. All right. Again, so he says this. Again, where the conduct of, pro- of professing Christians is consistent, let me ask the question, does not the conversation of many a professor lead us either to doubt the genuineness of his piety or else to pray that his piety may be revived? Have you noticed the conversation of too many who think themselves Christian? You might live with them from the 1st of January to the end of December, and you would never grow. You would never be tired of their religion by what you would hear of it. They scarcely mention the name of Jesus Christ at all. On Sabbath afternoon, all the ministers are talked over. Faults are found with this one or the other, and conversations take place, which they call religious because it is concerning religious places and Christian people. But do they ever talk of all he did and said and suffered for us here below, the path of the path of he marked for us to tread and what he's done for us now? And so the the whole premise is that there should be conversation. That, that indicts them for their Christianity, right? It should not be difficult to find them guilty in the court of law for professing Christ as Lord. Um, and I also think it's our common, it, it is our common denominator as the church is that we have one head, one foundation, one delight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so in the midst of that, those conversations are just going to have to come out. Let's talk about beauty. Let's go. What is beauty? <laughs> awesome. Wow, bro. That's a transcendental. <laughs> uh-huh. um, wow. I don't know if I've ever defined beauty. I'm big on definitions right now. Um, if I were to, so off the cuff, off the cuff, beauty <laughs> is an objective reality that prompts worship for the God who created it. Okay. So you would say beauty is objective Objective. and not subjective. Objective, not subjective. Got it. All right. So why is it important? Because it prompts worship. Mm. Um, It's what I would start with. Um, It's also... And you would say all beauty. So beauty is in... Like you're about to make the strongest argument, by the way, for my acceptance of the term common grace. I'm not going to, <laughs> but you're about to make the best argument for it. Got it. Go for it. Uh, no, just saying is now I don't remember what I was trying to say. All beauty. All beauty. Oh, yeah, is all beauty. So if we're looking at Van Gogh's believe, Starry Night. Yeah. If I'm looking at my wife, my children, the Rocky Mountains, yeah. the 
heavenly space beings, bodies, <laughs> heavenly bodies, <laughs> or the tiniest molecule, yeah. yeah, architecture, art, all these things are aspects of beauty. You say that all of them should prompt worship. Yes, beauty. beauty I actually don't even think that they should. I think they do. Hmm. Beauty prompts worship in some capacity. So, what's the standard for beauty? God is the standard for beauty. Right, but like, how do we know whether or not, like, God deems something beautiful? Uh, so, architecture. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm big precept precept here. Like, so, like, is our is our church building beautiful? Huh. Um, <laughs> it bears a great deal of beauty on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know what I'm saying though like where does our predisposition yeah I think I think part of beauty is a mixture of uh, and, and look I'm, I'm going to confess that I'm obviously not an expert on this however we I only think have 12 minutes. we only have 12 minutes <laughs> but but I think that it is it's crucial for us to understand that there is a standard of beauty this concept of a subjective beauty is a very dangerous thing because like let's let's play this out shall we because I guarantee there are people that will look at Oh, let's just be forthright. Uh, I guarantee there are people that would look at a at a man who is pretending to be a woman and say that that man pretending to be a woman is beautiful. It is objectively not beautiful. True. Right. Yeah. So when the, the issue is when you get to the abstract and things that are not, or, or, or when you get to the to the concrete of architecture or um, painting or music or something like that. There's these great perversions of these things that that are intrinsically not beautiful. And since they are intrinsically not beautiful, it's obvious the only way for you to reach a point where you call it beautiful is to suppress reality. Hmm. So, for instance, let's take a piano piece. I cannot go produce a beautiful sound on that piano. I mean, I can push right. the one key. I can't string together notes that are beautiful. I can string together notes. Yeah. I cannot string together beautiful notes. Yeah. And so there is an orderliness, there is a there is an objective standard that the that there it's recognized, I mean, universally. Yeah, there are natural laws of what sounds Absolutely. good in harmony and what's cacophonous. A- <laughs> it's a good word. Yes. Um and I think I think that's true. Like 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 the concept, right, is beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Okay. I can I can understand why someone why, why why we would say that most of the time when people are saying that they're speaking of their spouse let's be serious every image bearer bears some form of beauty yeah. right I mean it's like you can play on the aesthetics of that right. but the reality is an image bearer because they bear the image of God has a beauty about them period yeah um, and there might be beauties that you are more attracted to than others things that you desire more yeah but. We're not going to look at something that is intrinsically ugly and say, oh, that's beautiful. I think that's a suppression of truth. I think it's an expression of suppression of truth. I think it's interesting that beauty has to not only be objective, but we have to have the ability to recognize it as beautiful. See, I think you innately recognize it as beautiful. I think it's, a, I think it's an expression of suppression when you begin to look at beautiful things and say they aren't. Yeah, I'm saying that's, yeah, yeah, a, yeah, that's yeah, part yeah. of the Imago Dei is yeah. that we're able to recognize beauty because if you look at like animals, they don't, they don't walk out and stare at the sky and talk about how beautiful the stars are. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, you have, we have to have the ability to recognize beauty Mm -hmm. and God has to create things that are beautiful that we can, like you have to have both sides of it. And further, 
give the image bearer the ability to create beautiful things. Mm. Like, I mean, we, we look at, I mean, goodness, every time that we sing on Sunday morning, there's a beauty in worship, right? Um, there's a mm. beauty in, and like, again, I think like Van, I always think about Van Gogh's Starry Nights, right? Van Gogh's Starry Nights is, is a beautiful piece of art. Um, and in that, it's like there's, there's, there's orderliness to it. It's a painting essentially of creation that God has set out. Like these things are intrinsically beautiful, and he did an excellent job painting that. So there's a recognition of that beauty. But to, but to, to move away from, um, from those things that are innately beautiful and to, and to begin to call them ugly, which I think is probably the first step of 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 moving toward calling things that are ugly beautiful mm. um is is a great danger i think far more dangerous than we often uh expect it to be mm. mm-hmm. mm. let's see like but i look at the starry nights painting and i'm like eh <laughs> so, so in that, is there a sense in which that's subject? I mean, that's art. So, is that sure, a, sure, a subjective sense of beauty? Yeah, but like, I, like I, I hear what you're saying. Like, like if there's... somebody told me this painting's worth fifty million dollars, which it probably is or more, I would be like, oh, it's probably yeah, yeah, probably worth boo That's pretty nice painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like that's see, like that's not that's not recognition of beauty. That's recognition of value. That's true. Like you're you're assessing how much something is worth, mm. and that's always dependent upon how much you're willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Right. There's somebody willing to pay fifty million dollars for that painting. Right. Right. There's somebody willing to pay for something that's way ugly, and but it's probably even more expensive than that. There's one on eBay for four ninety nine. It's not. <laughs> but it's not. It's not an assessment. It's not an assessment of the value of the thing. It's a recognition that there is beauty about it. Hmm. Yeah. And you're. I mean, like as an as a. I mean, I would. I would actually place your profession into the art category as a doctor. Oh. <laughs> um, but like would you doctor say would, you, would you say so <laughs> they call me the cabinet doctor oh anyway. so like it's a great business flush name. flush lines mm-hmm. innately beautiful yeah as long as there's a control joint <laughs> i don't even know what that plum. means bro something being plumb <laughs> i'm saying like you walk into my house mm-hmm. and you recognize that my fur down's off. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you instantly know that does not look as good as it could. Right. Yeah, and so like I'm just saying like there, there are truths that are associated with beauty that don't need to be undermined. So do you think that there will be anything ugly in the new creation? No. no. So these like weird looking fish at the bottom of the ocean that we think are super ugly right now or like animals that we think are ugly <laughs> we'd be like they don't exist or we think they're beautiful like our mind has changed i don't know i look Maybe i think that them fish at the bottom of the ocean are the angels held in chains of darkness until the judgment but oh that's my God. opinion Wow, this escalated so quickly. Grace podcast does not uh, endorse endorse the introduction of this podcast or that part. Theological assessments made by Doctor Anik. Uh, I I think in the bigger conversation we could get into is I don't think that ugly is an appropriate antonym to beauty. Mm. Like I think that's kind of part of it. If that makes sense, like mm. what we think of as ugly 
ugly just doesn't seem to be a good enough category because there's other parts of it that are like like if something is something can be not attractive mm-hmm. in a, in certain senses but still be beautiful so i don't know i'm struggling with the ugly you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but the, but i mean even them they're 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 meant to convey danger like you think about the human's perception of and these things, and they beautifully do that. Yeah, I mean, like you, 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 but sincerely, like there's a reason we see a shark and you think get out. Yeah, mm-hmm. Venus right. flytrap. But there's also a reason that I watch Shark Week every every year, mm-hmm. and it's like they're beautiful. Yeah, there's there's a there's a, there's something unique about it, and it's the same reason that I think naturally, and it's and, you know, it, it is an interesting balance between naturally man leans toward. Um, or man, man is sinful in and of himself, but at the very same time, uh, natural man can recognize beauty in things that are unnatural, right? So, like, I think that maybe the better way to think about this is that which is natural, and I mean that in the tr- in the truest and best of senses, not in like man's natural nature of sinfulness. Man recognizes something that is unnatural and believes it to be disgusting. Mm. Right. So like, let's take homosexuality, for instance, you see like we're, I was sitting with my family, um, on Christmas, a commercial came on and two men kiss. I watched everybody in the room repulse. Right. And it's like, that's everyone recognizes that is unnatural. It is not beautiful. And I think a great demonstration of this is frankly the box office, mm-hmm. like movies recently, every time they try to push these things, it's like, no, I, nope, nope. Nope, not going to do it. And it's like, there is something unnatural, therefore unbeautiful about it. Mm. You carry that over into other movies. Like you think about like the rom-com era, even if there be um, sinful activity in those movies, which there most certainly is, there is still a naturality, right? Mm. It's like man, man, woman, natural. There is a beauty about relationship being established and built, right? Mm -hmm. There is not a beauty. In relationship, using air quotes, in two men who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, mm-hmm. um, and in, in exchange of natural relations for unnatural ones, like there is innate beauty, and there is things that are unnaturally wicked. Mm-hmm. So maybe unnatural would fall into that category. Yeah, like I, that's where I'm, I'm thinking of like multiple, multiple opposites to beauty. Yeah, unnatural mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Ugly. Because I think beauty has to do like I think order. Mm-hmm. Order yeah. is a part of beauty. Yeah, so like chaos. Over and against order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Celebration of that which is good over and against celebration of that which is evil. Like mm-hmm. uh, Carl Truman's book, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Yeah. Blake's sick of me talking about this probably. I read it. It's a good book. But the, but the, but the concept of death works oh, in yeah. that. I am tired of you talking about Yeah, this. I don't care. Um, is a really helpful category because essentially what it is, it's using art to celebrate that which is evil. Those things mm. are innately not beautiful. Mm. And so since they are innately not beautiful, what do they do? They create either the repulsion and essentially a leaving of those things, or they create a desensitiz- desensitization to those things, and you become more relaxed around that which is ugly when the natural response is to recoil. Mm-hmm. It is one of those funny things where like, you see on Twitter sometimes like these people will post like Soviet architecture mm. or like, I don't even know. Like, yeah. Maybe it's post Soviet. I don't know. But it's like you look at it and you're like, that looks like if I go in there, like 
I'm either going to like have to owe a lot of money or like get tortured or, you know, like yeah, something right, like yeah. that. Where it's like <laughs> yeah. the building itself is, it makes you almost Uneasy. recoil. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's just an interesting, like even our architecture spills out of our worldview. It does. What we see is mm-hmm. beautiful. What we believe. I mean, you even think of houses. Mm-hmm. Like you look at, you look, I mean, I, I think I'm, I love modern houses. Lawson's going to be against me on this. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think about an exaltation of beauty versus an exaltation of maybe productivity and or something of that nature. Like, I, you know, we drive through a town or like Memphis and you're driving through and you're looking at these craftsman homes that have a unique beauty about them. And they talk and they show you what you value. No, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you value the porch, which is like an inviting thing. Mm-hmm. Dining rooms. Mm-hmm. We're looking at houses. You know, people don't put dining rooms in houses anymore unless they're huge. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Do anyway. you think that's that's why churches have changed their architecture? In the sense, well, not changed their architecture, but it's it's interesting that like Catholic churches, even Presbyterian churches, are like very ornate, and Baptist churches are not. I would. I there are few things that I want more. Than a, um, than a building that bears an appropriate weight. Yeah, with like some good moldings. Yeah, you would put some moldings, moldings in. I like I like moldings. I think just a a pulpit that, that like a minimum of eight steps up to. And with the thing over the top. Yeah, you don't need the thing anymore. Yeah, have microphones. Yeah, but like I if just, we got to stand on a box. I just think I just think there is there is ground. A friend of mine uh, named Kyle Hillary always says, "You're never wrong to invest in beauty," mm. and I think that there's a great deal of truth it's to deep. that. Mm. And um, like it's it, or let me rephrase. He says it's never a bad investment to invest in beauty, mm. and so it's like I just think for us, like pursuing beauty is is good. And I think especially in our culture, the pursuit of beauty is. Like we'll we'll look at people or this culture looks at people and says, Hey, whatever you want, you go after it and, and you have and you and you'll you'll lay hold of beauty. It's like, no, there are things that are in, that are intrinsically not beautiful and we have to be willing to say that while boosting and encouraging people to pursue that which is intrinsically beautiful. Good. All right. So in conclusion, I have a Bible verse. Oh good. This is from our sermon from Sunday, one of my favorite verses. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You skipped the middle. What's the middle part? Did you skip the middle part? I don't think so. I'm I don't crazy. know. I copied it. Amen. Pasted it. So I'd like to thank two of my favorite elders, Lawson Harlow and Blake McCullough, for the time spent today. Fellas, if this conversation was for the birds, you two are a couple of wise owls, my brothers and my friends. Godspeed. On Monday, we had a family Christmas. Mm-hmm. This isn't funny. It's really sad. Uh, <laughs> we had family Christmas on Monday with my parents and my brothers and their wives. And uh, on Saturday, my dad had 
Uh, my dad told my brother to put my little 15 year old brother to put something in the garage refrigerator and he was like oh i can't because there's like a brown paper bag of something in here and my dad was like oh okay that's just thanksgiving leftovers like just throw it in the garbage thanksgiving that was like a month ago i know it's the garage freezer right. refrigerator that's Nobody's not real. Been out there. Yeah. <laughs> and so he threw it away and come to find out monday at 4 45 when they were going to get the steaks the 12 <gasps> steaks for our family christmas out what? of the garage refrigerator the brown paper bag of leftovers was still in there and the brown paper bag of steaks was in the garbage and i was like oh well it's just it's been 20 something degrees like they're probably fine just get them out of the garbage and they're like they came to pick up the garbage this morning (laughs) what oh my god and so uh yeah like six fillets and six ribeyes christmas dinner gone bye bye I'm so hungry. That like, makes me want a steak and makes me so sad. <laughs> Thankfully, my brother manages a steak restaurant, so he just bought some from his restaurant. Is your hat velvet? It's corduroy. 